1: It's Friday once again, EJ. You know what that means. It is uh, Division Macro Recap slash Predictions Day here. Uh, Wrapping up the AFC East. Uh, Kind of an overall, very high-level view of the division for people that maybe didn't have the time or the desire to go through four-ish hours of content, deep-diving through every single team individually. If you just want to show up for the wrap-ups every Friday... Uh, well this is for you this is where we kind of again take more of a high level macro look at 2021 results notable free agency additions notable rookies we do some predictions for MVP of the division offense player of the year of the division defense player of the year rookies coach of the year all that kind of stuff and obviously pick division winner too uh, just kind of giving a little primer here for what to expect from the AFC East in 2022 but before we get to all that ej my wonderful co-host how you doing what are you drinking tonight i'm good i'm
2: hanging in we're rolling through it's a great division to talk about it's a fun division because it's um there's a renewed competition in this division uh that's you know since brady left things are different it's a little bit more equal so we'll have lots to talk about and a lot of ton of fun rookies in this division as well that some really strong drafts so i am drinking seltzer because this is uh pod numero uno that we're recording tonight but not the only one so uh, i'm gonna stay on task what do you
1: have uh, i have four cups of black coffee at six <laughs> o'clock at night because we are rolling tonight we got to catch up on recording so uh, yeah i can't can't risk the good stuff putting me to sleep i am straight coffee this evening uh let's get to the 2021 recap shall we again a little bit of a lighter recap if you want more in depth for each team go watch those individual episodes Division winner last year, Buffalo. They were the best team in the division. Not necessarily by far, but there was a gap, I would say, between them and New England, even though New England was also a playoff team themselves. When they faced each other in January, or really when they faced each other anytime there wasn't a driving hurricane force storm going on, you could really tell there was a gap between these two teams that gap might have narrowed a little bit between January and now but I, I i still think that buffalo is the the clear favorite in this division just like they were last year in terms of late season surges though cuz december is always huge for the afc east whoever's better later in the season is usually going to the be the the biggest threat buffalo and miami both ended 4 and 1 in their last 5 miami people don't realize this were one of the most unstoppable forces in the entire second half of last season. They started out 1-7. and They barely squeaked out a win in week one and then lost seven straight and then won seven straight. So even though they ended up with rather uh, kind of a middling record and just barely missed out in the playoffs, they were kicking the shit out of people in the back half of last year just as much as Buffalo was. So... Again, this is a deep division, a lot of talented teams, a lot of teams that were really good late in the year, and uh, I kind of expect that to continue.
2: It's going to be fun to see them really go at it this year in terms of all the teams in the division should be highly competitive. At least many of the excuses have been removed for the teams that weren't as competitive. The teams at the top, Buffalo, I think, like you do, undisputed king of the heap at the moment. Everybody's going to try and knock him off that pile. That happens every year in the NFL, but they've got Josh Allen. It kind of reminds me of the Avengers movie. It's like, oh, we've got a Hulk, right? (laughs) We've got Josh Allen. Um, That's going to be tough to overcome in those late games when you need points. Like Josh can manufacture those with his arm, with his leg, with very talented playmakers around him. He makes very good decisions. Um, Everybody else has improved. Have they improved enough? We'll see, but the week-to-week games in this division are gonna be rough they're gonna beat the snot out of each other because the dolphins talked about this during the dolphins episode this week that with the coaching staff changes really only on the offensive side they basically poured it over their defense uh and their defensive coaches from last year because they were very successful and they were like nope it's working we're just gonna leave it there but obviously the offense has been completely remade and again Got to score points to keep up with Josh Allen and the Bills. They are tooled up to do that. New England was a little surprising last year. They're going to be less surprising this year. Mac was a bit of a revelation early. Cooled off a little bit later on, but they've remade his playmaking options on the outside. So, And the Jets, there's no more excuses for Zach and, and Robert Sala. Like They've got everything they need. They need Zach to pull the trigger. So it's going to be fascinating to see who hits the ground running, uh, who continues their hot streaks from last year, and where all these players, we're going to talk about free agency and, and the draft sort of just in a broad overview right now, where all the new additions really sort of bring extra heat because, look, if you don't do well within your own division, you're probably not you're going to the playoffs. anyway. Yeah, you're not going to the playoffs. And this is a tough division to win in because it is more balanced than it has been for a long time, and that's going to make – this feel a little bit like the old sort of AFC North games where you know everybody was just hammering and if you made it out of there standing um you were a really (laughs) good team
1: and the AFC East is starting to feel like that a little bit yeah there's no bad teams well theoretically on paper on paper no bad team no bad rosters how about that yeah let's put it that way uh and speaking of those rosters. Let's get to a notable free agency additions for each team. Again, this is a high-level run-through. If you want really in-depth talk for these free agency classes, you can go to the individual team episodes. But we want to point out uh, for people that, that haven't seen those episodes, and you just want to catch up on who these guys added. Per team, we're looking at for the Jets on offense, Laken Tomlinson to be their new starting left guard, one of the best left guards in the league. Top five to six, I would say especially as a run blocker, he's phenomenal and he obviously fits the system because he's been running the same type of stuff, you know, when he was under Kyle Shanahan. So, uh they went and got him to solidify the interior, CJ Uzama, uh, an upgrade at tight end. Uh even though he's a little bit on the older side now, still a very quality starting tight end and they are three deep at tight end now. Uh, DJ Reed, a uh, huge addition at corner for them. Likely going to be a starter, I would say, from day 1 even though their their corner depth is very very good. DJ Reed is probably going to be starting day one. And then uh Jordan Whitehead, the hammer from Tampa Bay. Um they they had a little bit of shuffling with their safety core, but Jordan Whitehead was a was a pickup that you in particular really, really liked at that price point.
2: I love Jordan Whitehead. I think he was overlooked in Tampa Bay as being a very solid player. And if you talk to people that follow the Bucks very closely, covered the team. The one that they always talked about that they felt a little bit sore about that didn't get the pub that they thought he deserved was Jordan Whitehead. Um, a real, I don't want to call him a glue guy because he's a better player than that, uh, but made a lot of plays that made that defense work, overshadowed by, you know, brighter shining cohorts on defense. But I really like Jordan Whitehead, and they did not have to pay a top dollar. I think he's as good... As the player, they basically traded him out for a little bit less range overall than Marcus May, but he's been healthier than Marcus May. And I think, again, if you look at the San Francisco system and when Robert Sala was in San Francisco, the sort of second safeties in San Francisco, they look a lot like Jordan Whitehead. And so I think he's a natural fit. I think he's going to be up to speed
1: really quickly. And I think he's a really good football player. So love that addition. For me, the big one, definitely going to be Tomlinson, because now when you look at that Jets offensive line, assuming George Fant staying at left tackle, which I believe he is, um, it'll be Fan at left tackle, Tomlinson at left guard, which is a bone-crushing left side of the line in terms of running the ball. Connor McGovern, um, minimum, I would say, serviceable at center, if not slightly above average. Uh, and then Elijah Vera Tucker, who's extremely athletic, now moving over to right guard, along with Makai Becton, who uh, we'll see. Uh, I I still can't get an uh, an idea of whether or not the coaching staff is in on Mekhi Becton or not, but that's kind of probably why they drafted Max Mitchell anyway, because he could play left tackle or right tackle. So no matter what, they're going to have quality starting tackles. Uh, Now moving on to Miami, notable free agency additions. Teron Armstead was the biggie. Um, Always been known as a little bit of a glass cannon, but when he's on the field, he is indisputably a top five left tackle in the league. Tyreek Hill traded a whole bunch of assets for him Um, we'll kind of discuss him uh, a lot more probably uh, throughout the next couple months leading up to the season because uh, at least over on the film room channel I'm also working on a video as we speak about this very topic about how people maybe are misunderstanding how he's going to be used in Miami and he's a little bit better of a fit with Tua than than people realize Uh, and then Chase Edmonds you and I both agreed was a phenomenal pickup for them. Uh, he's going to be extremely productive in between the 20s for them. Probably a similar role to what he did with Arizona, where, you know, was, Arizona, was like between the 20s, Chase Edmonds was absolutely the dominant running back in terms of getting touches. Then they got in the red zone, and then it was James Conner time. I kind of expect a, a similar arrangement in Miami. Uh, and then Melvin Ingram, the big one on defense, a huge coup for them. They didn't even really need him. They just got him because they could so uh overall just these top four free agents let alone all the other ones we talked about in the expanded dolphins episode uh they had a they had a hell of a group here yeah they reworked the offensive
2: coaching staff like we said left the defensive coaching staff the same and they reworked the offense they completely remade the receiver core the running back room looks very very different pretty much top to bottom Their top runner from last year is currently their fourth string running back. So that gives you an idea of the amount of influx and turnover on the offensive side. And they have loaded up, they believe, again, on a rookie starter's contract. This is the time so they could make the Tyreek move. They could pay top dollar for Teron Armstead in that sweepstakes and get him to come to town. They're they're putting all the eggs in the basket. They want to go now. They want to win now. They think their window to do that before all their talent gets expensive uh, is now. And getting somebody like Melvin Ingram as a sort of also on defense, uh, like you said, they didn't need him. They had a very talented defense, is just one more like, all right, we're loaded, we're rolling, we're going to do this. So Miami's one of my favorite early season watches to see how quickly both sides of the ball come together i expect the defense to be really good quickly because it's the same defense that rolled off all those wins at the end of last year with a couple of notable additions the offense totally different but
1: have a lot of faith in coach mcdaniel and we'll see how that goes Uh, on the new england side of things they they didn't really hit free agency that hard this year because well they did it so hard last year they (laughs) spent an absolute shit ton of money uh before 2021 Uh, dialed back the spending a little bit this year, decided more to focus on the draft. But one of the the major uh, transactions, I should say, they did do was uh, trading for Devontae Parker. They got Parker and a fifth-round pick in exchange for a third-round pick from Miami. The rare in-division trade, by the way. Um, But they, they desperately needed even more talent in the receiving core, even after adding a couple guys last year with Aguilar and Bourne. And then also they got Jabril Peppers to just... Continue adding to this uh, amoeba like, you know, DB slash linebacker slash nickel heavy defense where you got a whole bunch of guys who can play like four different roles for you. And they're going to be hard to game plan because they have so many guys like Jabril Peppers now that uh, they can do a whole bunch of different things for you. I think some New England fans might look at Jabril Peppers added for only a couple of
2: million dollars and say, what, how's that an impact player? Mm, I would say wait and see with his skill set and how much the key there is how and how much they used Kyle Duggar last year because your bill preppers can do so many things that Kyle Duggar can do not all of them definitely but the, the ability to play them together have a the sort of one of the best backups possible in the league if Duggar was to go down but the ability to get them both on the field together when you need range mobility hitting and not let an offense know which one's coming, which one's covering. It's going to give them a lot of flexibility. And Devontae Parker the rare in division of trade is when, you know, both teams are motivated. Devonte Parker didn't really have a didn't probably really have the role he wanted to in Miami with all the influx of receiver talent. He was going to be wide receiver 4 probably. Because he yeah, wasn't going to play. So. It. I mean, he can play big slot, and he has, but probably was going to be like wide receiver four. And on New England, he's like wide receiver two. <laughs> uh, At worst, yeah. yeah. So and he goes gets to go play with another very quality young quarterback. So for him, it's a good move. The Dolphins are like, hey, we're not going to use him anyways. We can get an asset for him. That's sort of why the trade. Uh, didn't look uh, as, you know, lucrative as fans on one side might have might have wanted it to be. But it works for both teams. New England gets better at receiver. Miami gets an asset for a player they weren't really going to use to anywhere near his potential short of a big injury. So doesn't happen that often that sort of the needs and uh, the haves on both sides line up. But they did here, and it works out.
1: And then uh, Buffalo, <laughs> the rich Get richer once again, uh, I mean, come on, Jamison Crowder, you're adding for what was it, like two point two somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, nothing. OJ Howard for nothing, relatively in this current tight end market. Which I know Howard ever since um, you know he blew his Achilles, he's not looked the same explosiveness wise. But there's still a lot of upside there for no money, uh, and then Von Miller, a quote-unquote six-year deal that's not really a six-year deal more like a three-year deal but they have a championship window they had a need for yet another edge they could get after the passer because you're going to have two possession leads von miller fits that bill and then uh daquan jones you know run defense i don't want to say it's been um it's been a need for them the last couple of years because when you look at like epa and all that kind of stuff like it's very good run defense but it wasn't because of their defensive tackles uh, their run defense was good because their linebackers, especially Matt Milano, cleaned up a lot of messes. Their safeties are great in run support. Their corners tackle. But at least in my opinion, their interior defensive line has been thin in terms of guys who can just take on double teams, get off blocks, make tackles of the line of scrimmage, and not force everything to be all on the shoulders of the DBs and linebackers. Daquan Jones is immediately going to come in and be that kind of guy where like he can actually just make the play himself. Like he can take on uh, those double teams and just kind of weather the storm and then get off and make a tackle. So a uh, huge pickup, but underrated pickup for Buffalo. there, are uh, covering a need that, that most people don't really consider for them.
2: That team on paper, we talked about it in yesterday's episode is just scary to look at again, from a roster standpoint, um, We know they play well together, and they play well down the stretch, which is very dangerous in this division. But if you just look position for position, especially on the defense, there's not a hole, right? No, yeah. There is every starter is average. Most starters are above average. Average at worst is what I'm trying to say. Even the starters that we look at and go, ah, they're not my favorite, like they're still probably – a slightly above average starter there's no like oh that's where they saved their money right <laughs> they, they've got that hole they're hiding that guy buffalo doesn't have that like they had one sort of hole at outside corner and they use their top draft pick on it so they're really loaded up on the defensive side of the ball on the offensive side of the ball they've got very good line they've got josh allen they bring their center and mitch morse back they're you know, they, they keep Stefan Diggs in house. There was definitely a little bit of worry when the ripple of wide receiver movement started. Everybody kind of looked at Stefan Diggs went, no, no, no. We'll give you a lot of money. Don't go anywhere. We need you because he is their alpha option in that offense. But you know, the tight ends are good. Dawson Knox had a breakout season last year. They added another running back. Like they just, they don't, it's just waves on waves we were talking about. It's a little bit like Alabama, right? you got five stars backing up five stars. Uh, the Bills roster at the top level is as good as just about any team in the league, and their quarterbacking is better. So in the modern NFL, that'll that'll win you a lot of games.
3: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Now, the one thing that all these teams have in common, at least in my opinion, they all had extremely different sizes of draft classes, (laughs) but they all had great draft classes. And I'm including UDFAs in there too. If we're just talking about rookie halls in general, they all absolutely murdered it.
2: Yeah, this division, in terms of the amount of rookie talent that I'm sort of excited to watch, the concentration in the AFC East is really strong. Um, We'll start with the Jets, uh, because the Jets had a ton of high picks. And usually teams that, um, I'll say oftentimes teams that have (laughs) a number of high picks— don't often come out you know three years later looking very good from that maybe one of the two first rounders is good but the second one was a dog sometimes both were a dog I have trouble believing that's going to be the case with this Jets Hall. on offense they come away with Garrett Wilson to fill their big need at wide receiver out of Ohio State and then they get Brees Hall uh, did they need Brees Hall probably arguably the no. top One of the top two running backs in this draft. They didn't need him, no. Uh, Does he look really good behind that massive offensive line, especially bringing in Lakin Thomason? Yeah, it's not going to be any fun to be trying to defend the pass against the Jets and then, oh, here comes that line in Brees Hall. So both of those picks uh, look really good at the top. And then Sauce Gardner, their first overall pick, the corner out of Cincinnati, going to be slotted in as... An instant starter reminds me of a former starter for the Jets who was very successful, and Darrell Rivas plays with the same confidence, a little bit different physical style than Rivas, but the same, nope, you're not getting anything on me, uh, demeanor that he backs up game after game. And when you listen to what coaches, opposing coaches said about him, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it was Bruce Feldman for The Athletic did a, did a piece pre-draft on Gardner and talked to like five coaches that had played against Cincinnati and said, you know, what, what'd you do? What was your strategy? And one of them, they all did it anonymously. One of them said, Oh no, we just put some slapdick over there. We didn't even try. We just basically put bait over there. We weren't even going to do it. Um, He's that good. And then they get Jermaine Johnson, who fell to them. Uh, the big, powerful defensive end out of Florida State, who is a monster edge setter against the run, but has, I think, untapped pass rush potential. As an overall haul for the Jets, they were one of our best draft classes in the pod we did right after the draft. Uh, has has time since the draft cooled that opinion for you? God,
1: no. <laughs> no. Like, it's it's just looked better. Because, you know, as we go through, as we do this series and we're looking at every single draft class, every single time I come back to the Jets and I'm like, Jesus, get out. They got all all these guys. Uh. It was it was insane. And this wasn't even everybody. If you want a full recap of everything they did in the draft, go watch that episode. These are just the top four. But literally every pick they made was just nuts. Um and I would say the same thing for Miami, you know, small class, but we still loved everything they did. Eric Izakama, um, who's probably, what, going to be wide receiver four for them, but still be Mr. Third Down. He's like their Jacoby Myers. Channing Tindall, you and I have been talking him up for like six straight months now. But yeah. uh, I did notice you put a UDFA on here.
2: I did. It's rare. I don't typically do that. But there's – I'll tell you my reasoning – when was the last time San Francisco didn't play their fourth running back in a season?
1: Under Kyle Shanahan, I think they've used at least five, like, every year.
2: Every year. And so Mike McDaniel comes from the San Francisco system. He completely remade the running back room. Yes, we like Chase Edmonds. Yes, we see Sony Michelle's role in that offense as well. Zaquandre White is, like, right now, RB5, arguably. And you'd say, that guy's not even going to make there hes going to be a practice squatter. He might be, but not for the whole year because the chances that somebody gets nicked up and they want to go with next guy up, hot hand, whatever it is throughout the season. I'm not wishing any injuries on the Dolphins, but Zaquandre White extremely explosive running back and a perfect fit for this system. We said if he was going to go anywhere, we talked about him pre-draft, that San Francisco would be the ideal spot. Well, the coaching staff in San Francisco split. Half of it's in Miami, and he ends up there. It's a perfect spot for a player with really untapped skills. So I threw him in there because I've just got that little hair on the back of my neck standing up that says, man, he's going to pop. They're going to give him an opportunity. He's going to have one of those 85 yard games in his you know debut with like seven touches (laughs) and they're gonna be like huh maybe we should keep giving him some touches so it's rare that I put a UDFA in there but Taquano Wright makes the list Miami overall very small draft class but what they did with UDFA is to sort of bolster it uh, if you're considering that as their total class their front office did a great job putting more talent on that roster New England did the same thing. Uh, a lot of people sort of raised their eyebrows at the Cole Strange pick. Uh, we talked that up in the episode this week. If you if you need the full justification, either watch the Film Room episode that Brett did on it or watch our, <laughs> our full episode of New England from earlier in the week. Cole Strange makes a ton of sense for New England and what they are and what we think they're going to do. Uh, Taequann Thornton, receiver we got to see at the Shrine Bowl super fast out of Baylor hyper-competitive with the ball in the air. He's going to be their deep guy in this offense and, you know, legitimate 4-2, 4-3 guy. He's he's going to take the top off, and you're going to see some some splash plays for him. Don't expect, like, massive production, but he he's going to open some eyes, score some long touchdowns, which has been an element of the New England offense that hasn't been well-served for the last couple of years. And then Pierre Strong, running back from down the list, who, again, is not going to be RB1, But what with RB1
1: in your hearts, though, folks. Yes, that's
2: right. (laughs) RB1 in your hearts. Maybe not on your programs. Uh, Pierre Strong, great outside zone runner. Great one-cut-and-go runner. Massively productive at South Dakota State. And we both think the Patriots are going to integrate more of that into their game. So the Cole Strange pick was like, huh. And then when they picked Pierre Strong, it was like, oh, okay. That makes a ton more sense, which is why I include Pierre Strong. On the defensive side for the Patriots, it's keeping up with the Joneses, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. You couldn't resist. No. Come on. It was right there. Uh, Like both of those players, both corners, Marcus Jones from Houston, also a tremendous and explosive special teams player, had a bunch of kick returns at Houston. Um, Just. He's small but doesn't play small, so may even play him outside some. I think he's better fit as a slot corner, but that's where Jack Jones has been impressing in the early camps they've had through the summer. and A lot of press from the New England area about how impressive Jack Jones has been once they've been on the field. So those guys are going to make contributions. Um, not a ton of other defensive highlights, but overall, how do you think the draft sets the Patriots up in a competitive division?
1: Offensively, uh, they are – so much more explosive this year than they were last year. Like it's not even cl- like speed from top to bottom at receiver, at running back, at offensive line. They're just a faster team. They're also faster on defense. Looking at their, you know, some of their free agency additions um, and even some of their draft additions too. If you go watch the the full Patriots episode where we dive into the the some of the picks they made on defense too, just to get faster. Like this team has really, really. Changed their makeup over the last two off seasons really ever since tom was gone because not to get too much on a tangent here but when you look at the the brady era of the patriots what really um what really i think defined it was building down the middle on offense and on defense is we're gonna be able to run the ball we're gonna dominate over the middle with the passing game um you know what we might work the edges a little bit here and there if we have, oh, I don't know Randy Moss outside, <laughs> or you know, if we put Gronk outside as a camp, we, we have one of the greatest players of all time. yeah, we'll we'll throw some lower percentage balls outside, but it was all about efficiency. It was about dominating up the middle on offense and defense and really working those gut punches. They built big with linebackers. they built big with defensive linemen now. I almost kind of feel like they're working the edges more on offense and defense as the, the meta of football has changed, you know, more RPOs than ever before more, uh, you know, getting the ball to guys in space for yak opportunities with screens than ever before. A lot of outside zone all over the league, a lot of, a lot of toss all over the league, a lot of sweeps and tap passes all over the league. So many teams are kind of integrating the the college mindset of, Attack space, work the edges, all that kind of stuff where, you know, New England, there were a couple times where they looked like they got stuck in the mud and you look at the Buffalo game last year, it's a much faster team. And when there wasn't actual mud to get stuck in, they, they got blown by. So I think looking at this draft class and looking at their free agency additions over the last two years, they're faster they're trying to match speed for speed with Miami and with Buffalo, and even to a degree with the Jets too. And I think they've done that. I think that mission accomplished, they got a whole lot of really fast talented dudes on the field. Now it's just up to whoever the fuck their coaching staff is. <laughs> uh, and of course Mac Jones to execute with all that speed and and see what they can do with it. But in terms of just talent acquisition, they've done a great job.
2: You know what that defensive transition that's occurred in New England reminds me of? Which other team? I thought of this after we recorded the Patriots episode the other night.
1: Kind of reminds me of the Ravens a little bit. A little bit, but
2: it's it's even... The correlation in my mind is even stronger, and you're close. You're in the right division. Hmm. Pittsburgh.
1: Oh i could see that too because they when, also used to be that like rough and tumble up the middle type team,
2: right and their yeah. linebackers were massive and they played the, you know they had a type you knew it was coming in the draft you you know you saw that two hundred and sixty pound olb and you're like nah that's a that's a steeler that's a raven right and then they went mm and they did it you know to their credit four or five years before bill did it Right. Different division. But Tomlin reacted and that I have friends that are hardcore Steelers fans and they're like, no, it's shifted. Look at their defense. It's not that way anymore. It's fast. It's small. They've got speed at linebacker now. It's not girth. Right. They've gotten faster and they're smaller, too. But that's that's the way they're shifting. And we talked about that with New England that I said they're they're following that Tomlin model from four or five years ago when the real shift happened to we're going to downsize and we're going to get fast and yeah they've they've completed that on both well not completed they've they've made a lot of good progress on that on both sides of the ball so it's gonna be a different looking team um i think it needs to be and that's that's exciting stuff gets us to buffalo on offense yeah they added some more speed too james cook at running back and khalil shakir uh who we talked about at length in the bills episode the receiver out of boise state also a special teamer probably get some more opportunities there Again, both players they didn't really need. Both players they took with roles in mind. Fascinated to see how Ken Dorsey rolls both of those players in because they're different than the players they have on the roster. Uh, To an extent, I think James Cook is probably more different than any of the running backs. Kalushikir shares some things with some of the other smaller receivers on that roster. But um, again, just more toys for them to play with like they needed it um, and then on defense, Kayur Elam, they had one hole on defense. It was outside corner across from Trey White, and they were like, "Hey, pick 22. Great, let's go get this. You know, very solid, very smart corner out of Florida, uh, who is ultra aggressive at the catch point, and he's going to fit right in with our secondary, our you know NFL best pair of safeties, Trey White. And you, you need a guy that's pretty confident and pretty solid to come in and play well in that." situation and I think Kerry Elam's got a good shot at that.
1: One of the golden rules of DB play is it's okay to lose early as long as you can still win late and (laughs) Elam won late a lot. Now he lost early a lot because there's a lot of great receivers in the SEC and um, I do think that he had some technical issues to clean up in terms of uh, press technique but he's so gifted and so tenacious that usually by the time the ball got there he still had a hand in there anyway so if he can just clean up the early phase stuff so that he doesn't have to you know kind of play from behind sometimes uh he's gonna be he's gonna be a good one and the bill's coaching staff is excellent so i i, I trust them to to get that out of him plus he's just a really smart hard-working kid you know we, we mentioned it yesterday you know the the, the, the clip of him in the interview with Buffalo where he's got like binders full of notes about how to attack certain things and where he wants to get better and, you know, how he thinks he can be used. Like that's that's a pro's pro. Like you can tell he had a, a father and an uncle that played in the league that got him ready of like, hey, it's not just about talent. Everybody's talented. It's do you take the best notes on Tuesday so you can play the best game on Sunday? I think he took that to heart. And uh, if you already have that part of football down before you even get in the league, you're probably going to hit the ground running. So I'm, I'm very, very high on Kyrie Illum there. Now, in terms of storylines or elevator pitches or, you know, one big narrative thread per team, this is just kind of, again, overarching themes that we're looking for each team this season or maybe just overarching questions that we, we want them to answer. We have one per team. We'll start top to bottom. We'll go in the reverse order this time. Start with Buffalo. This is if there was ever a time for Buffalo to get over the hill. And they've been at the crest of many hills over their franchise's history, going back decades. If there was ever a time for them to finish the job and have a Super Bowl parade through Buffalo, it's now. This is the team. They have... I'm not afraid to say it, the most talented quarterback they've ever had in their franchise's history. Uh, I love Jim Kelly. Love you to death, but Josh is different. Josh is an alien. He's got just as much talent around him now as Jim ever had, and he had some Hall of Famers with him. They have just as talented a defense as those Bills teams in the 90s had. This is it. This is the moment. And there's literally no excuse. If they don't make a serious push and I don't want to like say oh it's Super Bowl or bust but it literally is. It feels like that to me. If you're going to do it, do it now. I think that's completely fair. I I don't think anybody in Buffalo feels any
2: differently from the coaching staff to the players to the, you know, butcher shop on the corner. They all get it, right? That this is if there's a time, this is the time. They have what every franchise in the NFL wants. They have a super weapon at quarterback that can bring them from behind anytime he wants to, pretty much. They've surrounded him with a ton of talent. They haven't just said, okay, ride, Josh, we'll surround you with a bunch of nobodies. It's your, it's your gig. No, they've they've built an incredibly solid roster along a very sort of central and guiding set of principles that is shared between front office and the coaching staff. And that's that's cool to see from a team-building perspective. That much Unison that much um, sameness of purpose. My biggest question with them along there is, can Dorsey be as adaptable as Dable was? Because that was Dable's major strength, is the Bills would start to sputter a little bit or have a game where it was really close, or they maybe even lost a close one. And he would come out the next week with, a ton of adjustments that were just for that team. He is the antithesis of a coach that says, nope, we're just going to play bills football and make them adapt to us. Uh, uh he adapted every week. Like he had something different, different wrinkles, different plays. He was very well prepared. And so was the offense. And that won them a lot of games right there. You, you mix that with talent and you get a very potent mix, which is what we've seen out of Buffalo, especially for the last couple of years can Dorsey have that level of adaptability to keep them rolling when they start to like every offense, I don't care what kind of sports team you're on, baseball, football, whatever, every offense gets stale, right? Everybody goes through a little bit of a slump and can the players and the coaches work through that and get back to playing at a very high level. If Dorsey can do that, the talent should carry this team deep into the playoffs, which is all you can ask for. And then you just got to be healthy and, and win the game that's the difference in the nfl
1: it's not a playoff series it's a playoff game so storylines for new england there's a lot to choose from here uh I, I could have gone in many different directions for me the one question that i'm looking to get answered is how does the the reloaded receiving core the much faster uh if you include Tyquan thornton receiving core the more versatile receiving core you know throwing in the 50 50 ability to Devontae parker in addition to them kind of leaning even more heavily into outside zone than they ever have before, which they were already trending that way, how does this little, you know, reload and, and and kind of scheme alteration, assumed scheme alteration, unlock Mac in year two? Because to me, looking at how he was very successful at Alabama, doing all that kind of stuff in terms of, You know, bootlegs and letting him throw on the run and heavily emphasizing play action, you know, not making him like he can throw deep, but not making him throw deep into a keyhole. Like we're talking about, okay, hit the deep crossers, hit the deep pose across the face of the safety. How does leaning into all that even more in 2022 help Mac take the next step? Because traditionally, what we're looking for from a young quarterback is a year to jump. That is the key. Josh Allen had it, or Josh Allen was really more of a year three jump, but you yes. still saw a little bit of a leap in year two. Joe Burrow obviously had it. Uh, Pat Mahomes technically had it. For technically. Being, technically. Um, but year two jumps are, are a thing, and that's what every franchise is hoping for out of a young quarterback. How do the Patriots, or rather how did the Patriots do in terms of helping him get there?
2: Mac had a better year one than most people predicted. Like I said, came out extremely hot, uh, especially for a rookie quarterback. Cooled or got figured out, one of the two down the stretch a little bit, but still played extremely solid football um, under sort of any measure, rookie or not. I expect because of what we saw out of him at Alabama and who he is as a player, that that year two jumps going to happen for him on his side regardless give him more weapons to be even better like he's going to be better you better be keeping up with him and it feels like they have separation was a major problem for the last two years in the receiving core at new england and and it's it snuffed out a lot of plays on its own the inability to get any separation was almost i'm sorry new england i apologize it was almost bears like Oh, um, <laughs> that's mean. It's true, though. You saw so many plays where the receivers never really uncovered, and you had to throw not only kind of a 50-50 ball, but a like, ooh, should I throw that ball? There's NFL open, and it's not a very big window, and then there's just flat covered because you never really separated throughout the route. Patriots had a lot of those. Not all of them, but Patriots had a lot of those in their offense, and they're going to have a lot less of those with the current receiving core. Be interested to in see how, you know, a coach like Belichick and don't really know who's calling the offense. We have our theories about that. Go watch the episode if you want to hear them. It's going to be interesting to see how the I'll just say offensive play caller mixes those two together because they've been you know, Josh McDaniel's been masterful at doing that for a very long time and he's gone. So whoever steps into that role are they going to have that ability to keep people off balance by being adaptable, malleable, shifting every week, bringing a game plan that is, you know, custom made to hit you where it hurts the most? That's been a New England hallmark for a long time. And if they do that, I think Mac's going to hold up his end of the deal. I, I think we're going to see that jump almost regardless. But if you stack better chips around him, it's going to look uh, even brighter and bigger.
1: Miami. Uh, again a lot of a lot of different things to choose from here for me the defense I, I don't care fine same coaches same system <laughs> mostly the same talent they're gonna roll that's not a question to me at all question to me is how does McDaniel unlock what we think Tua can be not that I think Tua will ever be a top five quarterback I think that's being a little bit generous just in terms of physical skill set, which we knew when he was coming out of Bama. Like we knew like he was going to be a steady Eddie type guy, but can McDaniel get to a, to that point where he is ideally a better version of what Jimmy G is, you know, where it's safe, accurate, distributes the ball, you know, gets it on time uh, to guys where they can create yak situations, you know, doesn't turn it over. Is not a liability to the team whatsoever. Like you can win a lot of games and go to a Super Bowl that way, but can McDaniel get just a notch above that because San Francisco's made some runs with Jimmy G, and he just wasn't quite enough. Can they at least get to a to the point where he's enough to win a Super Bowl? Because this is, is, is as as much as people might disagree with this, this is a Super Bowl ready roster. Like, absolutely it is. We don't know if it's a Super Bowl-ready quarterback yet. So can McDaniel get to a to that point? That's the one. That's the question, and they're going
2: to answer it this year one way or another because the roster window is another two years, two and a half years? Max. Right. Max, yeah. But it's not going away next year. This isn't a balloon payment that's coming due at the end of this season. But if you're going to move on a quarterback, you're going to have to do it after this season. If you have this level of roster and coaching staff and everything else, and Tua sputters badly throughout the year, it becomes clear they're not going to be able to sit and say, well, we'll, try, we'll just run it back and try it again next year. They will make a move because this roster is too talented, too top-heavy, and the window is short. It's a couple of years at most. So they'll be looking for another veteran option most likely at that point. Um, Or uh, trading everything they've got for a top-level rookie, uh, which can get tricky because then you start to overlap basically windows, right? The the veteran team window collapses before the rookie gets good enough. We'll see. But we both think that Tua can do that and is a little bit more than Jimmy G. He's got a little bit more wiggle when he runs. Um, He makes... He can make as good of decisions as Jimmy G, a little bit more accuracy. I would say a little bit less arm, but he can fill in around the edges. Very, you know, tough guy, smart guy, good leader. Uh, but this is it. It's put up or shut up time. He has one of the most talented wide receiving cores in the NFL. He's got one of the most creative run games in the NFL at his disposal. He's got a lights out defense that you let off with. Like, what's left? And the answer is you got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to score the points. You got to win the games. That's it. And this is sort of brass tacks in terms of a season because if that doesn't work, if it becomes clear that he's not the trigger that's going to take them to the Super Bowl, they'll move in the offseason.
1: Now, the Jets question is kind of a hybrid of both of those in that <laughs> we're looking for the year two jump, just like we are with Mac Jones with the Patriots. Yeah, And it's also put up or shut up already because, I- I'm sorry, this roster is incredible. It's it's absolutely amazing, and you put a top sixteen quarterback with this roster. I would bet my house on it making the playoffs. The question is, is Zach Wilson, or can he be a top sixteen quarterback this year? Can he make that jump into being a an average to above average start? I'm not even asking for top ten. I'm not asking him to be, you know, Derek Carr right now, because Derek Carr is pretty good. But you put Derek Carr on this Jets roster, and I'd be like, ooh, okay, What? how, how much am I going to be betting on them making the Super Bowl? Because, good Lord, this team is crazy. So that's the question. Is Zach Wilson, can he make the year two jump with this amount of talent around him to at least just be above average? Because if he's above average, not even the Bills would enjoy playing this team. And they're the freaking Bills.
2: For me, it comes down to two words with Zach Wilson because it does all focus on Zach Wilson. There is talent up and down this roster on both sides of the ball. And is it as good as the very top rosters in the league? No, but is it single digits close? And is Joe Douglas uh, like... Ooh, I, I, don't it, I don't know. if I don't know if I...
1: I might actually say it is. Like
2: You can. You can. I. It's in that neighborhood, right? We can argue about the house, but it is in that neighborhood. This is an incredibly solid roster with good options all over the place. And Joe Douglas just keeps shoveling talent into it. So they've done everything they can do, and now it's time for Zach Wilson. The two words for me are consistency and points. He has got to go out and consistently lead this team to points. And that's it. He he can have flash plays. He can make plays outside of the pocket. He can throw 80-yard balls for touchdowns on highlights. That's great. Is he, every quarter, putting up a touchdown, right? Got to come out with 28 to 30 points a game right? It's the, it's the AFC East. You're not going to win a lot of like 15 to 18 point games, right? That's you're just, that's not enough. So if he comes out and puts up three touchdowns a game, he's a touchdown short. You're not going to win many games at 21 points. Like their defense is good, but the other offense is really good too. So Zach Wilson has got to become the guy that drives this team consistently to points. And if he doesn't do that, Joe Douglas and, and front office are going to have a really tough decision because they invested a lot. He was a very high pick and they're going to have to do the same thing that Miami's going to have to do. They're going to have to move. They can't afford to wait. Their talents going to age out. Their windows going to close. If they're going to do it again, it's going to probably be after the season. And I know that sounds extremely harsh after, you know, two seasons. The NFL is not what it used to be. There's no more three to five year windows. Those don't exist they're one to three year windows at best and the jets are in the middle of one they're a little farther along roster wise than cincinnati was last year and cincinnati went to the freaking super bowl you know this is it's this funny. is it you gotta get gotta get quarterback player or else it's it's all for naught
1: people might say ah t- four touchdowns a game 28 points a game like that's no that's that's elite like that should be enough to win every single game and you're right that is elite they'll be top five points per game in the league but um Buffalo scores twenty nine point eight, so still need a little bit more. You know, like you you might be able to split if you're getting twenty eight on Buffalo, you might be able to split, but you're not sweeping them if you're only getting twenty eight. Like, sorry, you got to score more than thirty. Like, it'll be good enough to get wins against most of the league, but not even against everybody in your own division. And oh, by the way, New England averaged twenty seven a game. So yeah, you're, and Miami, if you want to be in the ballpark of last year's Patriots. Who were still on the upswing and not even fully, you know, not even a fully powered and operational battle station yet. If you want to be in that neighborhood last year, you got to score four a game. If you want to win the division, you got to score four a game and also get the game winning field goal. Yeah, and some.
2: And if you think Miami's not going to score 25 a game, with, sorely mistaken. With that <laughs> offense this year and Mike McDaniel helming it, like, Something we're talking meteor level would have to happen to keep them from 24, 25 points a game. So if you're not scoring 28, again, you're looking for a game winning field goal to split. And you're doing that with everybody in your division. There are other divisions where 28 points a game would win you a bunch of games consistently. In this division, with where they are at this point in time, You're going 3-3, and bud. (laughs) Nope. And if the Jets do that, they'll be fourth in this division, right? If they come in with 21 points a game averaging, and that's what Zach Wilson can guide them to, they're going to be fourth in the AFC East. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not going anywhere. And they're going to have to realize that. And as tough as it's going to be, they're going to have to pull the trigger because it's not like they could go out. I fully agree that this roster is loaded enough that it's not like, well, if we went out and got this and this and this, we'd be so much better. No, you already got
1: it. This you're, was the you're year looking for gravy, not the entree at this point, you know. 100%. Uh.
0: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? <laughs> Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: Uh, All right, division predictions. Our our final segment, and also the one that I think people look forward to the most. That's why we put it at the end, to make you listen to the whole thing, because we're evil. (laughs) Division MVP, uh, I think you and I can agree, Our, our pick is Josh Allen. In yep. fact, he's, he's probably the pick for, for league MVP for a lot of people. I'm still not entirely sure yet who I want to pick for league MVP, but he's definitely in consideration, so I have to put him for division MVP. He's an alien, demigod, however you want to phrase it. He is him. Offensive player of the year, though. I, I could very also, uh, very easily also put Josh Allen here, but just in this for the sake of being a little bit different and throwing some other names in the conversation, guys that I think are also going to have a great year i went with mac jones i i do actually believe that he's going to have that year two leap i think they've done an excellent job of building a system and giving him a wide array of of speed to work with that is going to accentuate what he does well which is taking safe but also aggressive uh shots if that makes sense i know those two words don't sound like they go together but they are um Safe but aggressive shots down the field, off play action. I think the run game is gonna be incredible, which is only just gonna keep extending drives and giving him more opportunities to throw and more opportunities to score and more opportunities to win in the red zone. Devontae Parker is a legitimate fifty-fifty threat, which I don't really think they had last year in the red zone. That's gonna be Devontae Parker's realm, is just inside the twenties. Um I think he's gonna be awesome. And I think Again, this was a rookie Mac Jones that still, if we're looking at points per game, New England was still seventh in the league. They still had 27 points a game with less talent and with a rookie quarterback. I got to think it's going to be even better this year. I got to think that they are going to be scoring just as much as any other team in the AFC. And I think Mac Jones is going to be well-deserving of Offensive Player of the Year, at least in this division, consideration.
2: Can totally see it. Like, I don't believe that's a stretch at all. I went with Stephon Diggs because Stephon Diggs is one of the top five receivers in the league, in my opinion, and he's playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he is the featured part of that offense. That's not anything new. That's not like, oh, I think they're going to feature Stephon Diggs this year. They're going to feature Stephon Diggs. That's why they paid him the bag in the offseason. Josh wanted him around. You need an alpha-wide receiver, and he is awesome. All of that and a bag of chips. So when you've got basically a Super Bowl contender of a roster, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and an established relationship now between those two, they understand where they're going to be. They're approaching that sort of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams level of connection where they know what's happening all the time and can just get away with it pitch and catch connections based on that alone. Oh yeah, and they're both really good football players. So, can't really <laughs> vote against Stefan Diggs. Can totally see the nod for Mac. Um either one of them will likely be there at the end of the season and it's going to come down to, you know, more flash plays that voters saw uh but both worthy candidates.
1: Now, for defensive player of the year in the division. You and I went same team, same neighborhood, different houses. I went with Jalen Phillips from Miami. You went with Javon Holland from Miami. I'm going to make my case for Jalen Phillips here. I had him as edge one coming out in the draft. And this was a pretty talented edge class, by the way. You, you could have pick and picked from like three or four different names. And, and I would have accepted whoever you had as edge one. Jalen Phillips was my edge one. I thought he was a terrifying combination of, of length and explosiveness and fluidity and technical ability. He's awesome. He ended up setting the Dolphins' rookie record for sacks, which people didn't really talk about, and I thought that was fascinating because mm-hmm. this is a this is a franchise where Cameron Wake, Jason Taylor, um, you know Olivier Vernon, Lorenzo Brumel, like they've had some really incredible and I mean incredible rookie years for edge rushers, or rather just incredible rookie edge rushers. Period. And Jalen Phillips had a better year than all of these guys that, you know, are either going to be in the Hall of Fame or already in the Hall of Fame or, you know, have their jerseys in the rafters. And Jalen Phillips outdid every single one of them in, in the entire history of the Dolphins. So for me, I, I think he is an easy pick, not just to be a double-digit sack guy, but maybe to be like a 14-15 sack kind of guy in year two especially if we're thinking that the Dolphins offense is going to be a little bit more reliable in terms of putting teams in position where they have to pass all of a sudden you give him more opportunities with a 10 point lead and it's third and seven it's you know go hunt time this is a 14 15 sack kind of guy so put me down for Jalen Phillips not just a defensive player of the year candidate for the division but he's plus fifteen thousand for Defensive Player of the Year for the league, and I'm very tempted to throw just a little bit of money on that because the payout is for somebody that talented. The payout's pretty ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about doing that. Um, it would be. <laughs> it would be all right because if he ascends, if he continues to ascend, and he already ascended, as you said, he set the rookie route. Rookie sack record for the Dolphins, but if he continues to play that well and has a few highlight plays, listeners might be saying, why do you keep saying that? Because it matters, right? It's got to be in primetime too. Yep. You pick somebody off in a Monday night game, you know, he picks off or he, you know, gets two sacks and a forced fumble of Josh Allen in a primetime game, right? He could have a semi-average or average comparable year to the other top candidates and people will remember oh man remember that monday night game he turned the game for him it matters and when it comes down to my candidate javon holland he has an uphill battle safeties don't typically win this award right or awards like this it's just it's a bias it's real you have to be crazy all over the place good and have some ball production right and Mm -hmm. i'm not just talking about tipped passes i'm not talking about you know it's got to be interceptions right it's got to be big interceptions and probably a pick six uh javon holland can also get sacks which is fun in that miami defense and they've shown the willingness to bring him up and you know bring rushers from all over the place and he is a talented rusher as a safety, I know that sounds weird, but um, not every safety can do that. Jamal Adams is another one that's great at rushing the passer from the safety spot. He's not quite that good, but he's good enough to pick up a couple of sacks. And if you start to have that hybrid year where you get some ball production, the ball floats your way, you pick off some tip passes, you have some big hits, and oh yeah, you got four or five sacks, people start to go, oh, still a dark horse candidate. I'm I'm going to give everybody that right off the top like safeties don't win these type of awards but Javon Holland again as a rookie was a revelation to a lot of people last year that paid attention he on a very good very talented Dolphins defense played a leading role and was impactful from early on and had a lot of people even vets going hmm that one you got something there that guy can play so the potential's there the ball's got to roll the right way the game situations have to roll the right way but he's got the talent to be all over the field sideline to sideline sacking the quarterback picking off a deep pass from play to play with that kind of versatility and that kind of talent if he gets the opportunity it could happen
1: also i'm pretty sure that he was tied for most uh, bootleg shot of the week nominations last season <laughs> which for for a db is pretty impressive not gonna lie
2: totally unrelated fact I, I cannot confirm or deny whether or not that had any weight in the voting process.
1: <laughs> uh, offensive rookie of the year. You and I, again, uh, same neighborhood, different houses. We're both going with jets rookies here. You've got Brees Hall running back. Extraordinaire. Uh, I've got Garrett Wilson who might be, and I emphasize the term might be the number one receiver for the jets this year. They have a lot of dudes. Corey Davis, is there. Uh, Elijah Moore is there. Braxton Barris is the slot. I'm not saying he's the number one, but he's still going to get a lot of catches. Um, Denzel Mims, I'm never going to give up on, just out of spite. So sure. there's a lot of competition for catches there. But I still think that Garrett Wilson is a pretty decent shot of leading them in targets, and especially leading them in red zone targets, because he is a uh, a, a sneaky, slippery target down in the red zone. Where you're seeing a lot of man coverage and you know a lot of one on ones, he's really really tough to cover off the line. Um, I think that that he's got a pretty good shot of leading them in uh, in touchdown receptions. And as long as Zach Wilson is taking that year two leap that I think he he will, I think Garrett Wilson's going to be the most productive rookie receiver in this division, and therefore my offensive rookie of the year. If Zach does, I will absolutely give it to you. Because
2: Wilson has the kind of explosiveness that will capture a lot of yards, a bunch of big play touchdowns, and and voter eyeballs. So, depending on one Wilson hooking up with the other Wilson, um, mine is uh, not necessarily a backhanded shot at Zach Wilson, but <laughs> it's, a I, it's a hedge. It's a hedge. It's a hedge. I think when you when the Jets get to see Brees Hall run behind that line they're gonna see explosive plays. And if they see explosive plays in the run game, they're gonna be more likely to call more runs. If they call more runs, Brees Halls knows exactly what to do with them. And he can do it right off. And rookie running backs, one of the positions that's most translatable college to pros in terms of immediate production. You typically see, if you're talking about players on offense, rookie running backs produce more and more quickly then wide receivers, then tight ends, and certainly than quarterbacks typically. So he's got that going for him. And it's when you see that explosion, he's good in the passing game too, right? He can take Mm -hmm. short passes and he has enough speed and just blow by people. Again, you can get a long touchdown out of a screen. Now I have a lot more faith in Zach Wilson throwing screens than I do 20 or 30 yard bombs with consistency to Garrett Wilson down the sideline when he's covered, right? If you get Brees Hall, you know, the ball two yards behind a line of scrimmage and let him do Brees Hall things and he gets the same amount of yards. Again, the Jets might be, I don't want to say convinced, but start looking at, hey, how can we run this in a more sort of Titans with Tannehill and Derrick Henry where Mm -hmm. we're having Zach Wilson do 15 to 18 shots a game, and really Lafleur's putting him in good spots to do that, and those are the big shots to Wilson, but the rest they're really featuring Brees Hall and Carter in the passing game as running backs, keeping things short, throwing to Azama for those conversions when they need him, sort of playing it a little bit closer to the vest and looking for explosion from big runs from Hall, and then, great, we're setting up the deep PA shot. I could see them adopting that as a success strategy because I don't know that putting Zach Wilson out there for 50-55 throws a game is a strategy that's going to win you a lot of football games in this division with a
1: lot of talented defenses. I, I don't think any team's winning with 50-55 to 55 throws a game. That means something terrible went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Unless you have Josh Allen, because there's some halves where they go where they it's like 28 <laughs> passes to two runs. But that's yeah. it's like one team. One team that does it. One team. Um. Now one one wrench that I will throw into that the one reason why I think that Brees Hall might not win it has actually nothing to do with Brees Hall, Hmm. and everything to do with the fact that I think that Michael Carter is also really good, and I I think that the the platoon that the Jets have there, looking at their their depth chart, because it's not just Hall, it's not just Carter, um, they still got Ty Johnson. He's really night, good, <laughs> really good. You know, Tevin Coleman's like RB five, yeah. And and you know, of course, that that coaching staff loves Tevin Coleman because anybody who's ever worked with Kyle Shanahan is, is bound by blood pact to to give Tevin <laughs> Coleman a job till he turns forty. Um, I, I I I love Brees Hall. He's going to be extraordinarily efficient with his touches. There's just so many dudes there. You know, very similar to Miami, where it's like I don't know how many touches any of them are going to get. Like it's hard for me to. To figure out what to do in fantasy, because I, I, there's five guys, <laughs> and they're all going to get touches. Yep. I don't know. But that's like the one reason where I might lean away from Brees, just because, oh, no, there's too much talent. It's not even a real reason. It's more of just a embarrassment of riches. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year. Let's just keep it with the Jets, shall we? You and I are in agreement here. Sauce Gardner, um, probably the best rookie defensive player drafted in the entire division, day one starter, monster grade from both of us. Um, you've compared him to Darrell Rivas, which is about as lofty a comparison as you can possibly give to any corner. Were it not for the existence of one Derek Stingley, he would have easily, and I mean easily, been my CB1 as well. But it's really more of a 1A, 1B situation. Like, Sauce is Sauce is that dude, and um, I think if, if anybody else won Defensive Rookie of the Year over him, it wouldn't be because Sauce didn't take to the league quickly would just be because there's somebody else who had an absolutely insane batshit year
2: could happen the most surprising thing to me would be is if sauce played poorly yeah because i've never seen it
1: (laughs) ever literally his last two
2: years in college were pretty much absolute lockdown shows he just doesn't play badly so I don't expect him to play badly just because the people are bigger and faster. I mean, he's played against a lot of these receivers that he's going to see in the league, and he shut down almost all of them pretty much completely. Like That's the level of dominance we're talking about. So if he came in and had kind of a middling rookie year where people were throwing at him a lot and getting away with it, and, look, if that happens in the NFL, they'll keep doing it. They're not afraid to throw at a rookie corner. If he can't buck up and, you know, get some ball production and shut their offense down, they're just going to do it until he can. I'd be really surprised after about a third of the season if there's a high volume of targets going to his side.
1: And and that's the thing is, like, there's so many great corners on that Jets roster now that inevitably he will get targets, but I just don't think they're going to do much because it's yeah, they're him, not going to pay Reed, off. It's the other Michael Carter, by the way, because there's two great mm-hmm. young Michael Carters in this Jets roster. Um, you know, Bryce Hall is CB4. Like, he's going to have me. to get targets. Not to <laughs> yeah. you, uh, not to not to people that love yeah. Holland College like all of us did. But, um, you know, he's going to get targets just because there's very few places to throw the ball. Oh, they're going to try it
2: for sure. <laughs> they're absolutely going to try it. But I bet it's not going to go well for them.
1: And there's going to eventually – this is just a vision that flashed into my head when this signing was first made and when the pick was first made where I'm like, I can almost guarantee that at some point in the season, you know, Sauce is going to be bailing deep and he's going to be bailing deep and bailing deep and bailing deep and he's going to be shutting down all these fades because that's what he does. He gets eyes on the ball. He feels for the receiver, you know, you take a shot, he uses his length, breaks it up. Eventually, defenses are going to start attacking that with like digs off speed cuts and all that kind of stuff. And they're going to punish all these zone looks. And Jordan Whitehead is going to fucking detonate someone. And it's going to be completely baited where Sauce is just, okay, I'm doing my job, I'm rolling deep. And then receiver's going to, you know, do a side adjust conversion, speed cut it inside. Whitehead's going to be like, cool been waiting four games for this and it's gonna hurt like I there's gonna be a shot of the week from Jordan Whitehead from that exact scenario and I can't wait because this secondary they all complement each other so much joiner ranger free rangey free safety can also play a little bit in the slot Whitehead massive hitter Reed and Gardner great outside corners Carter great nickel Hall if one of the outside guys go down you know, Won't Paul skip can beat. absolutely step in there and play. You know, he might give up more catches than the other ones, but he's still going to make a lot of plays in the ball. I love it, man. This secondary, not to get too much I'm on a rant, but this secondary is just, it's gross, man. It's gross. And it's probably the second best secondary in the league or in the division. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the league, yeah, a little rich, but in the division, no. yeah. Behind, behind Buffalo. I don't know, Miami's pretty good too. Miami's really
2: good. You have three great uh, secondaries in this division and and look, New England's is not chump change. like it this is it is hard to throw the ball and it's not gonna be fun to throw on the Jets. It's been more fun to throw on the Jets than anybody else in this division for a little bit. and with the addition of sauce holding down one side of it, DJ Reed's underrated corner. He's going to play well, too, and, you know, if he doesn't, Hall, I think is also an underrated corner, in my opinion. They're they're going to back it up, but they're going to see more throws than they think they are because they're going to try. They're going to go after Sauce because every rookie gets gets his shots to, you know, prove his <laughs> mettle. He's going to knock a bunch of them away, and then he's going to pick a couple of them off because he's got good hands, and they're going to be like, okay, let's be careful doing that now.
1: Final category, also probably the least surprising category division winner you and i both have the buffalo bills but as i alluded to in the top of the show the gap is a lot narrower a lot narrower and if something goes wrong when we did the the buffalo episode yesterday if something goes wrong and they get hurt and i mean really banged up sure this is still a team that could be like a 9 or 10 win team in a worst-case scenario type thing, and the other teams in this division are all good enough to win 11. You know, so it's it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Buffalo is second or third in the division if they get into injury trouble. Typically, they don't because their training staff and their sports science program is one of the best in the NFL. If they get into injury trouble, it's possible that Miami – or New England, you know, steps in there and wins this damn thing. Because the gap is not so big anymore that Buffalo is insulated from that happening to them. Like, they have to be perfect. They really do. Or else they got a whole bunch of teams, not just in the division, but in the conference, knocking on the door to take them off the throne.
2: Yeah, I would say New England's probably the most likely because they just know how to do it, right? They've changed the roster, but the coaching staff... Is yes, changed as well, but they know how to do it, and they've got a quarterback who's playing well within their system if the wheels were to fall off with Buffalo. And like you said, it wouldn't be one thing. They would have to fall all the way off. It's a very talented roster. Um, But if they stumble badly in the middle of the season, New England's going to be pushing them in December and not the other way around. And the other two are going to be nipping at their heels for any win they can pick up, and they'll pick some up. They've both improved as well, so the margins have gotten a lot smaller. I still think Buffalo's the top. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet my house that they win the division because a stumble and you know New England playing strong football down the stretch would mean they could easily come in at the top of the division.
1: That'll wrap it up. again, we keep thinking that the the division wrap ups will be the short episodes. And they end up being the long ones. Um, for but for some of them they might be for this one no way too many fun <laughs> players too many fun storylines
2: too close a division really to call in the early going so
1: lots of fun we'll be back next week with nfc east starting off uh i think with the commanders they finished fourth and then we're rolling up through first play. no they didn't was it was the giants yeah, Joe Judge. The Giants were fourth.
2: Okay. Uh well, this was the we quit on Joe Judge show. They they ended up
1: uh sixth loss streak, 0-5. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Big See, slide. this is why we do the, the recaps. Big it reminds slide. us of, yes. of how terrible last year was for some teams. So Giants will be on Monday. Then the Commanders, and then we wrap it up with um with Dallas and Philly. And then we do the full once again, NFC East recap on Friday. So hope you guys join us for that. Uh, I'm sure the comment section will be nice and full of rage as all things involving the NFC East are. And, uh, yeah, until Monday. See you guys later. Take care.